Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Daily Roundup on this, a Thursday, August 10th, 2023. I'm David Menzies, and my co-host, well, let me tell you a little bit about my co-host. Do you know what, folks? Today is National Lazy Day. She doesn't celebrate that, nor does anyone no. else at Rebel News. If we did... I think we'd be working at the CBC. She is the she-devil <laughs> with a spatula. She is the Khaleesi of the greater Coburg area. She is Tamara Ugolini. How you doing there, Tamara? Oh, even better now that I know I'm not in with the lazies of the national day today. Thanks <laughs> for that, David. What a great, what a great juxtaposition uh, with the with the CBC compared to what we do here at Rebel. We were actually just discussing uh, yesterday, I was looking at some of the vacation stats and I apparently have taken the most vacation days this year, but I always end up working <laughs> on my vacation days. They're not, they don't end up being a day off. There's always something to tend to or some, some phone call or email to respond to. So uh, I, I echo your sentiments there. <laughs> well, you know, uh, welcome to the modern world. Um, I find this, the cell phone, this is really a fancy way of saying I have a leash around my neck. Uh, you can never get away. The world has shrunk. Uh, you're always on call. And um, But I can't remember. I, I think I go back to pre-COVID when I last had a vacation day, excluding the Christmas break. But you know what, uh, Tamara? I'd rather be mm -hmm. overworked than underworked. Um, and it makes me wonder, National Lazy Day, who in their right mind would wear that as a badge of honor? Eh, you know what? It's a Thursday. Uh, I'm just going to you know, sit on the deck and <clears throat> do nothing. Um, you know, I, I, I don't get that. I, 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 you know, and I, I guess that we're all kindred spirits here at Rebel News that um, we like to work. And, you know, I've always said this. I tell this to my kids. If you can get a job that you love, and oh, boy, I love this job. It doesn't even seem like working, does it? When you can say to yourself, wow, I can't believe they're paying me to do this job. Gee, I hope Ezra's not <laughs> listening right now. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? If you get uh, fulfillment and even joy out of your job, as opposed to the alarm clock uh, rings and you go, oh, you got to drag yourself out of your bed to go to work. Um, to me, that's heaven on earth to marry you, Galini. Completely agree. There's that saying, if you find a job that you love, you'll never actually work a day in your life. And I didn't ever think that that was true until I became a certified rebel. I was always a rebel kind of in my personal life. But uh, when I started working for <laughs> Rebel News, that's when I thought, wow, this is, it's just, there's always something fresh, keeps you on your toes. It's never the same kind of mundane thing. Um, there's always something new and exciting going on. And I guess that's probably even more prevalent in your life, David, you're a mission <laughs> specialist and you're out there, um, tracking down the trans cats. So that's always a fun time. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, uh, folks, what uh, Tamara's uh, alluding to last weekend, I went to Windsor. There was a man, Cody Detremont, who, um, transitioned into a female, Desiree Anderson, which almost sounds like a burlesque performer to me, Tamara Ugolini. Um, and he, that was to get into a woman's shelter. Can you imagine that? A biological male violating the ultimate safe space for women. And then uh, 
the inevitable happened, I think, got charged with sexual assault. Um, I don't know their status. I reached out to the Windsor Police Department. They didn't get back to me. And evidently that was good enough to get him kicked out of the women's shelter. And he's gone from transitioning from male to female to feline. He walks around Windsor. <laughs> we have several high witnesses. It's it's like speaking to someone that's seen the Sasquatch, you know. Um, he wears these Halloween props, uh, pointy ears, and a tail, and he's the trans cat of Windsor. Um, we we f- didn't find him. We were told to go to the Wendy's drive-through. He lurks behind the menu board and pops out like a jack in the box, no. <laughs> begging for money. Um, and <laughs> But oh, that's diversity. Yeah. And for asking impolite questions uh, yet again, just like the woman's shelter, the security at the downtown Windsor Mission uh, called the police. And boy, did they arrive. I think four SUVs and a pickup truck, one of which was driving up uh, the one way street the opposite way. Because, you know, that's. That's a calling all cars situation to Mary Ugolini, a journalist asking implied questions. So stay tuned for that report, folks. It's surreal. <laughs> what an urgent emergency that must have been to disregard the, the laws of the road just to track down your brazen questioning butt. <laughs> all right. We are 10 minutes in. So oh, let me just brief everybody on what we're doing here. If you're just t- tuning in for the first time. Uh, surprise and welcome to Rebels Chats on Trans Cattery. Um, I guess that's a thing these days under the umbrella of diversity, inclusivity, and tolerance. Um, oh, and equity. We can't forget the E in there. Uh, so if you're joining us on certain platforms, we are streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and Getter. Because we've been completely demonetized for I would say speaking truth to power and asking those kinds of impolite questions and also sharing alternative points of view. We've been completely demonetized from YouTube. We truly, I'm surprised a lot of the time that we're still on that platform given their rigmarole and ever evolving and changing community standards. Um, I think they update them approximately once a month. So depending on whether or not you're in alignment with whatever they deem to be uh, correct think and correct speech, then you could be deplatformed completely. I hope I'm not completely frozen. It looks like I may be ongoing rural internet connection, but I'll keep going here unless someone tells me otherwise. Uh, so if you're joining us on Rumble, that's kind of the free speech platform, it seems, these days. And you can send us a hyper chat, or, or I actually think it's called a super chat there. And it's a fun way for our audience to engage with David and I, or whoever the rebel um, host of the day is. But today you get David and myself. And um, send us a small monetary donation, keep our journalism afloat, and we will provide commentary or perhaps you can give us a tip or a trick. So it's a fun way to get our audience involved in the happenings of the live stream. But we do have a jam-packed day here. And I guess first and foremost, we're going to share this viewer discretion advised, really, if you're a parent like I am of this video of um, an autistic teenager being dragged out of her house by British police. And her crime was telling the police officer, allegedly, I think this was shared originally by her mother, um, was telling the, the police officer that she looked like her lesbian grandmother. Let's have a look.
I think only part of the clip has audio. She's oh, made a comment in her own house. You've got her own comment. She hasn't said anything to you. No matter. She's never gone back. She's getting arrested. She's getting arrested. Why are you doing this comment? Don't worry. She hasn't done anything. I think that's the lesbian grandmother. She's all look alike. I'm telling you, I've got Eunice coming. She's going to be arrested tonight. I'm waiting for Eunice coming. I'm like, why we got her on the first place? She's autistic. Can you stop staring at her, please? She's got autism. Can you just stand there? She's in a cupboard. She can't go anywhere. She can't go anywhere. Stand there, Ian. They're going to remove her for what? With your woman? Then she said the word lesbian. Her nana is a lesbian. She's married to a woman. She's not on the phone. Look what you're clenching your fist. Go away from my teenage daughter. What is up with you? There is something wrong with you, mate. She didn't aim it at the police officer. It's not homophobic remarks. It's not a homophobic remark. She said, I think she's a lesbian like like Nana. If you want to bully people, you'll just you'll just get one of them badges there. That's what you do. She's autistic. She don't like people touching her. She will have a meltdown. She won't come out. She's got autism. I'm Lisa. We're trying not to do this, aren't we? We've been trying for a long time. But she hasn't done nothing wrong. That officer out there has assaulted me for no reason. She's got autism. She's autistic, man. The issue is if an officer decides to arrest her. They won't. She won't arrest it. They brought her up. She went. She's under arrest. No, but she was going upstairs and she made a comment to me, and that officer ran in my house and assaulted me and tried to get to my daughter for no. You want to make a complaint about anyway? That's fine. I am going to. I am going. Yeah, because it is on, and she has. She 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 was full of rage and she ran in the house and she barged me into this. Yeah, I think the audio cuts out again and they just show this poor teenager being escorted out of the house and, and detained. So much to unpack there. <clears throat> but first of all, I want to address... Oh, and she also, look, they're saying here that she has uh, scoliosis and a twisted spine, so the way that they were handling her uh, was likely to cause her a lot of pain in addition to having autism oh, and but, being obviously under duress. But Tamara Ugolini, I'm struggling here to determine what the crime is. Um, mm -hmm. It says in the copy that she referred to a police officer that she looked like her lesbian Nana. Now, I remember once upon a time, like I'm going back to high school days, 1970s, um, you would use the word gay as a disparaging term. Like, oh, that's so gay, meaning, you know, uh, it had nothing to do with a man having an intimate moment with another man. But it was just that, you know, that's, that's bad, that's square, that's uncool. But I would argue in right. 2023, uh, Tamara Ugolini, saying um, you look like my lesbian nana, um, that's like a badge of honor. Aren't we supposed to be embracing the uh, uh, spirit unicorn community? Isn't, um, you know, being referred to uh, in a positive way as a lesbian um, a good thing? That's what I, I think with Pride Day, Pride Week, Pride Month, Pride Season, probably uh, next year, Pride Year, isn't that what we're being shoved down our throats? You know, that... Um, Gay is good, and if it's good, it's gay. So I don't see um, the problem. I mean, if 
if her nana is a lesbian and you know so be it and she just uses the word lesbian it's just as a descriptor of her nana it's not as a disparaging term am i interpreting this correctly tamara ugolini because at the end of the day i don't know where the crime is Mm-hmm. Well, likewise, and I don't think there is actually a crime, but regardless, that was no, there's nothing stood in the place of this obviously triggered police officer who I would say probably is some form of identifying LGBTQIA7+, plus, whatever it is these days, QQAA um, community, because this is a clear instance of the police being on a power trip based on their own inability to manage their emotions. Like someone making a comment, and we don't know all of the details. Obviously, this is just the one side of the story. I mean, the video pretty much speaks for itself that this child didn't look like they were putting anybody at risk, uh, huddled up in in a closet in her home with her parents very much there and aware of the situation. But the uh, West Yorkshire police did put out a statement uh, just just today on this incident. And it says that um, this was a 16-year-old girl who was reportedly intoxicated and putting herself at risk in Leeds City Centre. Uh, they drove the teenager to her home so she could be appropriately looked after. And I guess upon returning to the address, comments were made which resulted in the girl being arrested on suspicion of a homophobic public order offense the nature of the comment yeah but uh, tamara ugolini how is that homophobic if she has a lesbian nana and she she just says you look like my lesbian nana especially in the context of our um uh, young millennia millennium uh, i i don't see the homophobic element to this here but there's other things at play here first it's the overkill what was that maybe half a dozen police officers to arrest a 15 year old girl and secondly this is one of the most brutal policing examples i've seen in many a moon uh to mary Ugly. why didn't they once they learned about her autism couldn't this have been hashed out with verbal dialogue, at worst, a verbal warning. Couldn't they have gone to that precious, offended female police officer who may or may not be lesbian? It's so confusing, this story, and say, listen, um, this young lady, she's suffering from autism. Uh, She probably didn't realize that she was saying something offensive to you. So we've told her, please don't use that language again with this officer. And uh, can we call it a day? No, they're going to haul her off the jail. And finally, that's an interesting allegation that she was inebriated. Uh, is this proven to Mary Ugolini? I mean, or did they no, no. think that her autism was her being drunk? That's a great point. No, it's not. I think the wording that they used, um, reportedly intoxicated and putting herself at risk. Ah. But the, the kicker with their, their press release here is um, they, they take their responsibility around the welfare of young people taken into custody and around neurodiversity very seriously. We also maintain that our officers and staff should not have to face abuse. This is the second <laughs> last sentence. 
um, should not have to face abuse while working to keep our communities safe. And, you know, they note in here as well that there was body cam footage and so on and so forth. They want people to avoid reaching any conclusions, but uh, they're fully reviewing the circumstances of the incident, apparently. And like, it's just more um, on in line with this, the fact that, you know, a comment like you look like my lesbian grandmother or my lesbian nana is somehow spun into putting people at risk of being unsafe and and hateful um this is just insanity oh. uh, that that this can be spun this way and obviously these officers as i mentioned or this officer in particular is triggered by this comment when you know let's just this is just taking things way too far well, first of all, if you are a police officer and you're triggered by work uh, words, uh, you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> Let me tell you yeah. that much. But you know what? The Yorkshire police, with that release uh, to Mary Ugolini, just dug themselves a six-foot-deep grave because they're inferring that to be called a lesbian is hateful. But mm -hmm. I thought... Being gay, being lesbian, being bi, oh, especially being trans, I thought that's diversity and equity and inclusion and, oh, the Rainbow Mafia spirit unicorns are such wonderful people. So you can't have it both ways. You can't embrace this community and at the same time say that lesbian is a derogatory term. It isn't. Yeah, or somehow abusive. Somehow abusive. This is... <laughs> Words are now abuse, apparently, yeah, because uh, to Tamara, an officer you, if dropping I, if off that, a 16-year-old. Yeah, if she had said, you know what, you remind me of my heterosexual nana, w w would there be a, a hue and an outcry? You know, maybe. I think we're supposed to use cisgender, yeah, which days. I never <laughs> use. It sounds too much like sissy. But, um, you know, this is an invented offense, and it looks like the Yorkshire police are trying to cover up their egregious and outrageous behavior mm -hmm. um, by uh, suggesting that she was drunk. And good luck. Uh, I wonder if they gave her a breathalyzer because that's a hell of an allegation. And good luck, um, you know, proving that in court. This is just absolutely despicable. I got to tell you, Yorkshire must be the safest place in England to marry you, Galini, because if you can send a half dozen cops to arrest a 15-year-old autistic girl for a thought crime, I suppose there must be no real crime there. there. There's no robbery or sexual assault or murder. So maybe we should rethink moving there, uh, Tamara. I, I'd love to live in a, a safe place, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. And more and more we see that happening across various jurisdictions where police are responding to these nonsensical allegations. And uh, meanwhile, drug use, robberies, uh, crime, stabbings, like we see in Toronto specifically on public transit, they go on 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 unabated. So uh, this this is just the tale of how society is being slowly degraded by the diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, where someone's words um, can trigger such forceful treatment. Um, okay, we're let's go to a, a quick ad break and then we'll yes. come back to chat about some of Trudeau's recent happenings. <laughs> yes. Or lack. Of In a world plagued by conformity where truth is distorted, 
Freedom is a distant memory, and Big Brother is always watching. One man, Winston Smith, looks to break through his bleak existence. Introducing the all-new Rebel Illustrated Classics edition of George Orwell's iconic book, 1984. Now, more than ever, in the age of lockdowns, 15-minute cities, and World Economic Forum globalism, everyone must read 1984. Uncover the hidden depths of this literary classic with our exclusive illustrated edition that brings Orwell's haunting vision to life, reborn with a foreword by Ezra Levant and 30 captivating new illustrations by artist Paul Revoche. You see that Orwell is not only explaining what might come, but in my opinion, what's already here, even back when he wrote it in 1949, but much more so as we see revealed today, particularly with the last three years. Join the rebellion against conformity. Get your hands on the Rebel Illustrated Classics edition of 1984, now available at buy1984.com. No matter what, God will bring us through, and I said, we will not bow down to your gods. For tickets, showtime details, and to see the trailer, please go to savethechristians.com. Yeah, so uh, Tamara Ugolini, I understand that Prime Minister Blackface and family <laughs> heading to BC uh, for a vacation this week. Um, I'm confused. Is the whole family going or is it separate vacations in BC? Uh, I know Blackface has been making a lot of time uh, right after pleading for privacy with the breakup with Sophie um, and then hopping right onto social media and going, Hey, we're on Team Barbie with my son, <laughs> and hey, we're on Team Oppenheimer with my daughter, because you know what? He wants to mix up the gender roles, right? That's uh, that's yes. his um, ambition there, because really, Tamara Ugolini, if you're a 15-year-old teenage boy, I unless you're going to the Barbie movie with a date, I can't see the appeal. Um <clears throat> I think the poor kid, he's going, what? Wait a minute. I want to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> you know, I want to see the story of the uh, first nuclear bomb, uh, not, you know, a, a movie about a plastic doll. And uh, I bet you, for that matter, if we were to speak to Trudeau's daughter, she's going, you know, um, I think I'd really rather see Barbie, Dad. Oh, no, but Blackface knows better. Uh, and besides... Uh, after the big cabinet shuffle, he's still double digits behind the Conservative Party. So this, uh, Tamara Ugolini, is all about changing the channel, right? Uh, it's all about, uh, hey, look at this. Look over here, over here. I'm going to the movies uh, with my kids. And I spoke to uh, the She-Devil yesterday about this. I wonder... <laughs> Um, what the, I mean, it's so obviously orchestrated. Did they close down the cinemas? Uh, did they have the official press photographer yeah. come in? Did they have the du rigueur eight SUV fossil fuel burning uh, um, uh, entourage motorcade uh, going to the uh, multiplex? I bet they did. But um, what is your understanding of this uh, vacation to uh, BC? Is it separate rooms, separate cities. Um, it's a little baffling to me. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And this report comes from CTV News. 
Um, and of course, the <clears throat> prime minister, as they stay stay here is not specifying where they'll be staying, but says they're set to return to Ottawa on August the 18th. Uh, and then it, it says here that, as we already stated, uh, Trudeau and his wife of 18 years announced last week that they'll be separating, but they still plan to spend time together as a family. <laughs> and of course, they also asked for privacy for the well-being of their three children when Trudeau took to social media. I think it was uh, four days later, posting these photos of him and his kids at these various movies, um, which, yeah, I would say that repeatedly everywhere we everywhere Trudeau goes all across the country, he's heckled by uh, by hordes of protesters. And so I wouldn't discount the fact that he had to shutter down a movie theater and have his complete security detail there with yep. him. Did he force his security guards to sit through these the Barbie movie, for instance? I mean, we can speculate, oh, but uh, judging <laughs> judging by his history, the last several months where he gets heckled everywhere he goes and has to cut short his uh, engagements, I would say that he took extreme measures to protect his family and and his children during these crucial outings during a time in Canada when Canadians are really suffering i would say our country is in crisis we have all various social systems collapsing from the school system to the medical system to our financial system um we're funding unabated this proxy war in the ukraine where when canadians are struggling with a housing crisis with an inflationary crisis, uh, inability to feed their families and pay their bills crisis. And this is the priority of the prime minister. I mean, I'm all for sp spending family time. I have a family. I know how important it is to spend time with your kids, but you don't need to be posting that all over your social media when there are far more pressing issues going on in the country, not to mention the vast majority of Canadians right now cannot afford to go to the movies yeah. twice in one week, as the prime minister clearly had done, likely, well, well, definitely on our dime. We, he is funded and paid by the taxpayers. So he is, is uh, sitting comfortably in a position where he can go and do that while Canadians struggle to, as the months continue to lean toward the winter, they will struggle to heat their homes and also struggle to put food on the table for their children. And it's just proving so how how much out of touch he is. And now he can just jet set off into British Columbia and vacation for the next week. It's maddening. I think what's really maddening, uh, Tamara, is the fact that blackface, once again, uh, guilty of the double standard. On one hand, he pleads for privacy during this tough mm -hmm. uh, chapter of his uh, marital life. And then um, before the ink is dry on that press release, you got him using his children as political props to create a distraction of how the big cabinet shuffle didn't work, how Canadians, as you stated, going to the movies, that's kind of like going on vacation. Um, you know, you factor in <laughs> the ticket days. prices, a, a popcorn, uh, a drink, uh, you're probably for two, uh, two admissions, uh, let alone a family admission, you're probably around a hundred bucks, I imagine. Um, 
And yes. you can't have it both ways, but he seems to revel in that. And I'm getting sick and tired of the trained stenographers in the media, Tamara Ugolini, who are saying, oh, you, you know, because you did mention also him getting heckled. The last one, the last time was at Belleville. That was a spectacular heckling. Mm -hmm. And you have the trained seals uh, denouncing that, including the newest um, stenographer on Team Trudeau, the disgraceful Brian. Lily of the Toronto Sun going, oh, that shame on you, shame on you. No, no Mr. Lily, how about this? Ask yourself why people are so upset. Ask yourself why they have nothing but bad things to say about blackface. It's because they are in a bad situation in their lives right now because of federal government policies to marry you, Galini. And you got like, look at that. Kooks only help PM. Uh, the only kook I see is the, the man with the byline writing for the Toronto Sun, which should be a right-of-center media outlet. What an absolute disgrace. And as far as blackface is concerned, what I would do to Mary Ugolini, every time I have a whistle stop anywhere and I get abuse hurled at me, I would probably retreat and go, you know what? What have I done? What have I done to create such division in this country? What have I done to create so many enemies who are so verbally abusive to me? Why not reflect on his own policies and how harmful they have been to us instead of, as opposed to denouncing these people as haters? Look how blackface treated the Freedom Convoy in uh, Ottawa. Uh, he said everything from they were racist to homophobes to Islamophobes, all of it absolutely imaginary lies uh, to Mary Ugolini. Mm -hmm. But when you're blackface, you can do no wrong. And when you have convenient stooges like Brian Lilly of the Toronto Sun to prop you up when Lilly should be denouncing blackface as well, well, uh, I guess... Uh, he's preaching to his own internal uh, choir. Uh, let's see what happens uh, come election day, whenever that'll be. When do you think it will be, uh, Tamara? I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think 2025 is too distant. I think the sweet spot is next year. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, the sooner the better, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. But I don't think that uh, <laughs> Trudeau and his unofficial coalition leader in the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, are ready to let go of their stranglehold yep. of the Canadian parliamentary system anytime soon, which is very unfortunate for the Canadians suffering the fallout of their devastating policies and uh, governance. But um, the, the lack of introspection of Justin Trudeau lends to just how incredibly out of touch he is once again, as yep. I, I seem to always mention, like he just sits up in his ivory tower, privileged trust fund baby, Never really had to work a day in his life. I mean, it's evidenced by the amount of personal days and vacation days that he takes as prime minister. But the the lack of ability to self-reflect on why it may be, as you've mentioned, why Canadians are mad, why they're gathering in the streets and denouncing him and, and, and hurling insults at him. Um, that is just astounding. And then, of course, the projection that he puts onto those people or even going back to the 2021 leadership debates when I asked him a question about why he thought it was appropriate that he tried to ban Rebel News from attending the debates and asking 
pointed media centric questions. And he threw back at me and obviously Rebel News as an organization um, that uh, we're, we've been dis- been spreading mis and disinformation. And, you know, if I had the opportunity to have a follow up question, I was prepared to say, with all due respect, Mr. Prime Minister, but your government throughout the COVID hysteria uh, led primarily by failed bureaucrat Theresa Tam, the public health agent, leader of the public health agency of Canada. They have been, you have been the leaders of myths and disinformation throughout the pandemic. And uh, so that that inability to self-reflect and and acknowledge wrongdoings and kind of like correct course is just becoming increasingly evident on the political spectrum with Justin Trudeau and his government. Um, and it's really sad because it's it's the Canadians on the ground who are suffering, not him up in his ivory tower jet setting for a week vacation in British Columbia after seeing two me- movies in one week. I mean, the vast, as I mentioned, the vast majority of Canadians can't even begin to comprehend affording something like that. So that's really unfortunate. And, and Tamara, I remember that night well when the debate was held. And it wasn't you, my friend, and Rebel News getting the middle finger from the prime minister by refusing to ask, answer questions, rather. Uh, He was giving the middle finger to Canadians. Um, As our viewers may or may not know, for the second time, the first time being 2019, we had to go to federal court to get in there. Mm -hmm. And our one lawyer went up against, I don't know, five, six, seven uh, federal government lawyers, and one each time. All the odds were stacked against us. But a judge said, yes, we are a credible um, news media organization, and there is absolutely no basis to shut us out. Now, at least in 2019, he answered questions. But by 2021, um, he was obviously miffed. He was a sore loser, I would suggest, Tamara. And he didn't mm-hmm. answer questions uh, this time around. And, you know, it leads into, I, I see there's a, um, uh, another news item here. Uh, Trudeau's new House leader wants question period to become an hour Canadians watching can be proud of. Well, that's not going to happen. Because I can tell you by whenever I watch question period, and P- I think Pierre Polyev has been doing a great job asking really pointed questions. But that's the thing. He doesn't have them answered, Tamara Ugolini. Uh, It's almost as though uh, Pierre Polyev is saying to uh, Blackface, what kind of car do you drive? And the answer is, my curtains are green. You know, they never directly answer the question. How can we be proud of an hour? We can't even be proud of five minutes when these scoundrels are too scared to give a direct answer to a direct question. Yeah, 100%. This is uh, coming out of CTV News, and this is the new appointed House leader, uh, Karina Gould, who she told CTV in this interview that, and I think it's about three quarters of the way down, um, that she has already been preparing ministers in their responses behind the scenes. And so it kind of just made sense that she would transition or be shuffled into this position during that mega cabinet reconfiguration um, uh, on July 26th. Um, I'm just trying to find her exact quote here. 
It says, uh, sorry, just give me one moment. She was already playing uh, this role, essentially. And so my staff were actually telling me that sometimes, and this is her quote, sometimes when they were watching Question Period, they could see me leaning over and talking about it. I thought I was being discreet, she said. I always have a lot of thoughts and opinions on these things, and I make them known. So she's already been prepping members of parliament how to respond to questions, but we repeatedly see that they don't actually <laughs> respond to questions. And now this is the new house leader that's trying to say that she's going to somehow garner accountability during question period when she's already been preparing the ministers on how to risk. Anyway, the whole thing's obviously just going to be a giant mess because if this is the person who's already been prepping them on how to respond and we're not getting any responses, I don't know in what fantasy world these individuals are living in that now all of a sudden this same person is going to somehow increase accountability and garner actual responses to these questions. But yeah, the way that they behave in question period, it's like a clown show. Honestly, the 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 way that these politicians conduct themselves, the language that they use, um, it's fr very frustrating to watch that yep. we are the people paying and funding the salaries of these individuals to act like a bunch of children in a kindergarten class. I mean, really, let's bring some adult decency back into the game and actual accountability and actual uh, answers into our our House of Commons into Parliament because the way that it, it's been unfolding and going over the past few years is just the laughing stock, really, of the world. I think. Uh, I agree, uh, Tamara Ugolini, and I don't uh, mind the shenanigans and the kindergarten class antics on the presumption that I get a question answered, and by that I don't mean some word salad preamble, blah, 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 which, you know, completely avoids uh, the meat and potatoes of the question. I mean, a real question being answered. Question period is a joke sometimes just for that very reason. It's so frustrating to watch and the fact that they can get away with it. But that's their way of doing politics. Uh, <clears throat> to Mary Galeen, we should take a little ad break and then we can uh, look at, oh, boy, the federal government is expected to release new clean energy electricity regulations today. Why am I already <laughs> clutching my wallet, folks? <laughs> Why am I expecting <laughs> bad news? We'll see you on uh, the other side uh. of the break. <laughs> How in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening. And it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't in some sense working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster.
Oh, and this just in on the electricity front to Mario Galini. I see that from a story posted just um, several minutes ago that, um, oh, it's the Christmas miracle in August. The new electricity guidelines coming down from Environment Minister Stephen uh, Convict Gibault uh, will allow some natural gas uh, power generation. Isn't that amazing? We are drowning in natural gas <laughs> reserves, Tamara Ugolini. As you know, um, the, the, pre the prime ministers of Germany and Japan have come over begging for, um, I think the number was a third of a trillion dollars worth of liquefied natural gas. And uh, Blackface, um, playing the virtue signaler, uh, as he always does, said there was, quote, no business case, end quote. Can you imagine uh, a third of a trillion for Germany, a third of a trillion for Japan? That's serious change, all right? And there's no business case, but that's not the reason. Of course, there's a business case. We have a debt and a deficit. It's all about we are against fossil fuels. So I guess mm -hmm. responding to criticism, especially of Scott Moe in Saskatchewan and, of course, uh, Daniel Smith in Alberta, um, uh, Gibault, uh, like Scrooge, is giving uh, a little bit of leeway towards natural gas power generation. Well, why wouldn't we look at that, Tamara Ugolini? Um, as we know, with the green energy scheme, um, it only works when the sun is a shining and the wind is a howling. And meanwhile, like I said, when it comes to um, natural gas, oil, the rest of it, um, we are well positioned if our mandarins in Ottawa would let the energy producing provinces, uh, you know, produce energy. Yeah, as we see in the stats here, we have a, a Twitter or a, an X post. It's going to be so hard to get used to saying that. Um, formerly known as Twitter, uh, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe posted uh, the amounts coming out of the provinces per capita. This is based on 2021 numbers, but the GDP. And you can see that Alberta and Saskatchewan dominate. They lead the way even above Canada as a whole. And I'm looking over here at, uh, you know, Ontario, which is supposed to be the open for business and the place to grow as per premier uh, alleged conservative or progressive quotes uh, or more emphasis on the progressive than actually conservative, Doug Ford. Um, and so you see that innovation and that industry just being completely destroyed by the liberals and these green energy uh, policies that they're implementing. And there's been a lot of pushback, arguably justifiably so, by Alberta's Premier Danielle Smith. Actually, there was a really great clip that I put in the chat um, from her on why the this this massive dependency on an electricity grid just simply won't work in Canada. And if we could play this, I think it was she handled herself really well in this clip. I, I don't know if people know this. We have 23,000 megawatts of proposed application for wind and solar. 23,000. But here's the problem. Every time you bring wind and solar on the grid, you have to have a backup. Uh, what we have is natural gas peaker plants. So when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, you bring on natural gas to cover the gap. The federal government doesn't want us to add any new natural gas to the grid. 
So I've told them, how can I bring on additional wind and solar if I'm not able to secure the reliability of my power grid by being able to bring on natural gas peaker plants? That's the big, that's at the heart of the problem. No one is proposing any new natural gas plants because the federal government has created so much uncertainty in the market. That's what we've got to figure out. That's one part. The other part is the reclamation costs. And we have begun to deal with that on the oil and gas side. We're demanding that energy companies spend uh, pay down 3% of their liability and reclaim their uh, existing sites. But when you look at, at, a, at a wind installation, maybe it has 50 turbines. It's a huge amount of additional steel, fiberglass, massive amount of concrete construction. What happens when that gets to its end of life? Who pays for that to be removed? We don't have a system in place. Well, I can tell you, I've, I, but when you bring in oil and gas development, you've got stable baseline development. When you bring a natural gas plant onto the grid, it can work 100% of the time. When I, I live in, I, I represent Brooks Medicine Hat. I spent seven months pa- driving past a solar farm that had well, was covered with ice and snow and not producing a single iota of power. And so I have to accept that as a reality. When we were in the in the winter, we had several times where the grid almost failed because we didn't have enough power and you can't call up wind and solar on demand. We had uh, times where we, even though we have 5,000 megawatts of installed wind and solar, there were two days in the winter where the, it was producing less than 100 megawatts of power. So I always have to make sure that when wind and solar, which are intermittent and unreliable, when they when we bring new on, we have to make sure that we have a backup. Otherwise, we're, we're going to end up mm-hmm. with grid instability and we just can't have that. It's exactly and- what you see in California. Oh, you Let's... must be reading my mind, uh, Tamara Ugolini. You're like the female version of the Amazing Creskin, or perhaps the Great Ravine. <laughs> um, the I was just about to bring up the California example when it comes to what Danielle Smith referred to as grid instability, because what mm-hmm. was not addressed by Premier Smith was the big grid instability boogeyman lurking not too far around the corner, and that is electric vehicles. We have, Mm -hmm. and it's not by marketplace demand, folks, it's by government edict, deadlines in which fossil fuels will not be sold in certain jurisdictions. I think with California, it's either, forgive me, Tamara, it's either 2030 or 2035. That's it. You cannot sell um, fossil fuel vehicles there anymore. Here's the thing. I believe there's something like 14.2 million vehicles in the state of California. Right now in the state of California, we have roving brownouts and blackouts. Also, there is one nuclear facility left in the state of California with two plants. One plant, I believe, is going off is going offline forever in 2024, and the other the year after that. And there is no plan for any new nuclear plants to be established in California. So, Tamara Ugolini, do the math. If this state which has that many cars, and they won't be replaced overnight, but when you can't sell a fossil fuel uh, burning vehicle in California anymore, this state has a greater population than Canada, I believe, and you're already experiencing uh, roving brownouts and blackouts, when you eventually replace the vehicle fleet in that state with all electric uh, vehicles, that have to be plugged into the grid, a grid that is already um, <laughs> on weak knees, 
Can you imagine the disaster California is heading for in terms of this forced electrification? Um, and mm -hmm. I see it here in Canada, too. And getting back to Guibo, <clears throat> don't take your eye off the big picture here. I listened to an interview by Dan McTague. He's a former liberal MP, I believe, of 18 years in the um, uh, Durham area of Ontario. And don't hold that against him, folks. Dan McTague is a classical liberal, uh, i.e. he'd be a conservative today, okay? And he said that Guibo's end goal here is to reduce our energy capacity producing in Canada by 75%. Can you believe mm -hmm. it? This man is a maniac, and I don't use that term lightly. He's a convicted criminal in his environmental activism. He, uh, you know, decided to, you know, hang from the CN Tower or something like that. But he's an activist. He's a radical. Uh, and this is the guy Blackface chooses as a minister on this file? Are you kidding me? Um, you know what? Like you said uh, to Mario Galini, we need regime change in this country sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And the thing about California, too, is we can look to how their failures have affected uh, their the infrastructure is just not able to keep up with the capacity required to generate that state. But in California, they don't have harsh winters and extreme weather like we do here in Canada. Can you imagine being in minus 30 feels like minus 40 weather? Yeah. All of a sudden, the power grid fails because the electricity and the infrastructure just isn't there to be able to meet the demand of the Canadians who are heating their homes, um, powering their vehicles. I mean, batteries die exponentially faster in cold weather. So this Correct. idea that battery powered everything, electricity grid, um, clean energy sources, it's just not feasible in a climate such as we have here in Canada. And this is all very much heavily coming down from globalists and unelected bureaucrats from the World Economic Forum. There's a link here that we have on clean power and electrification and the, the kind of the forceful way in which this is being imposed onto us. And it says that the, by 2050, the energy system must be highly electric, electric, powered mostly by clean energy sources. And so that would be, as Danielle Smith was discussing there, wind and solar. And who's going to to fund these projects that will be um, unusable in 25 years, approximately the lifespan of a solar panel, for instance, uh, when it actually pays for its return on the investment of the panel itself, by the time that it pays back its own investment, it's obsolete. It's planned obsolescence. Um, they say here the 2020s have to be the electric decade in order to meet the Paris climate goals by 2050. That final energy consumption has to shift from the current 20 to 30 percent by 2030 and 50% or more direct electricity by 2050. And I mean, again and again, I come back to the, the question, who elected the World Economic Forum to come in and make these decisions for the world? And if they're not elected, then who decided that it was appropriate for our political leaders to be lobbied by the bureaucrats who will profit from this electrification, who who decided that it was an appropriate way to conduct democratic process 
by having these individuals lobby the government while they literally ignore everybody who actually pays their salaries. It's, um, it's really concerning. And we're seeing more and more like originally, this was a plan for 2030. And now it's 2035. And so it just kind of keeps getting pushed further and further back. But it's still very much on the agenda. And it all comes down from the World Economic Forum, and these global elites. And Tamara Ugolini, uh, let me ask you when it, the rubber meets the road. I don't know anyone in my circle that can afford to purchase a full EV vehicle. Uh, let me ask you, when you have right. to replace the Ugolini mobile, um, do you have the financial wherewithal to buy a, a full EV vehicle? Not only do I not have the financial wherewithal to purchase a new vehicle, whether it be gas or electric oh, power okay. at this point, <laughs> unfortunately, but I don't want one. We yep. see that they are unreliable. Um, how about the fact that they spontaneously combust, yep. right? This is a real risk here. And who wants to be worried about stopping every X amount of kilometers to charge your car for 30 plus minutes? Um, this is just not feasible. It's unreasonable and it's unrealistic. And I don't see that changing anytime soon because there's a reason why we, we use fossil fuels. And that's because they're reliable, dependable and efficient. The electricity grid is not. No, you're right. The It is unrealistic. And I'll give you an example. Um, Ford uh, recently came out with the Ford F-150 um, Lightning pickup truck. Once upon a time in the 90s, Lightning was, uh, that was the, the sub name they used for the F-150 for their hot rod, um, you know, piss and vinegar, fossil fuel burning uh, pickup truck. Now it's uh, relegated to the fully electrified one. And I remember reading in Car and Driver, I'm going by memory, the um, list price for the Ford F-150 electric pickup truck was 69,000 US. Ah, hold on. Plus dealer markup of 71,000 US uh, wow. because they're so rarefied right now. I've never seen in my life, uh, I stand to be corrected, I've never seen dealer markup exceed the base price of a vehicle. But at the end of the day, uh, Tamara Ugolini, what that means is you can buy one F-150 Lightning all-electric pickup, or you can buy two uh, fully decked out F-150 King Ranch pickups. Also consider this, if and I was, I was speaking to somebody in the industry about this, if you're booting around with that electric pickup um, as a, I don't know, a soccer mom or just you're getting groceries or what have you, that's one thing. But what if you're pulling a trailer? What if you're pulling mm -hmm. a, uh, a boat? And what if you're going into cottage country? Do you know what that does to the range, folks? It decimates it. Oh, and by the way, when you get out to the great outdoors, because, you know, that's how these car companies always sell pickups and SUVs. You're driving off the beaten path. You're going into nature. Uh, guess what? There's no pump to plug in <laughs> your electric vehicle. You have just taken ownership of the priciest paperweight on Earth. So, yeah, major, major range anxiety. Um, for all those reasons, Tamara Ugolini, uh, maybe one day I, I kind of liken it back to, you know, in the late 70s, uh, a VCR was uh, about $2,000 in 70s dollars, which was probably equivalent to about eight or 9000 today. And 
by the time uh, VCRs were being uh, discontinued, I remember my local Loblaws selling one for $29 in that, you know, 2010 money. So you pay to be a trailblazer. And undoubtedly, these electric vehicles will go down in price. Um, but for all the reasons we've discussed, I just don't see a demand. Uh, another, another example, New York is thinking of tragically following Gavin Newsom's lead and putting a ban on fossil fuel sales there. Imagine you live in New York City in a high-rise apartment or condo, and you have a car. Do you th Where is the you know, availability, where is the logistical sense in terms of those high rises putting in an electric charger in every space? It, it, it will not be done. It cannot be done. So we are going down a path of madness in terms of virtue mm -hmm. signaling. And the last point I'll make about this too, Tamara Ugolini, it's the dirty side of uh, electric vehicles. It's all the rare earth minerals that are needed for the batteries. And guess who's in control of the lion's share of those rare earth minerals? That would be China. And guess where they're being mined? Uh, impoverished African countries like the Congo, where child labor is being used to do this yes. very dirty, dangerous job. We don't, you know, the, the leftists like Gibault, uh, they don't talk about that part, that little dirty secret of EVs, but that is the reality. Yeah, if you just even search out rare earth mining, it is uh, it devastates the the environment. And meanwhile, we have decades of research and um, data to show that the fossil fuel industry conducts its work cleanly it's highly regulated it's um and and it's and it's reliable that's the part that we're missing in this puzzle the infrastructure already exists it's there it's reliable it's lucrative and then meanwhile we're putting all of our eggs in this electrification basket yeah. um that really there's no evidence to support it especially in a climate like canada's and, and, and the northern parts of Canada, um, and, and the amount of money that will be wasted trying to go down this path and, and get this pipe dream of somehow this being clean and green is so backwards that it's, it's disgusting. And again, it's coming down from global elites who are set to profit yep. from this initiative, while the little guys like us suffer the repercussions of what will be right i can almost guarantee this will be a failed endeavor and the fallout of it is just going to be going to be gross because there's no way to recycle especially those ev batteries there's no way to recycle solar panels um, as Danielle Smith mentioned in that little clip we shared with you who's going to fund taking down and replacing massive concrete wind turbines um this just seems so out of touch and so unrealistic i don't know how anybody's getting on board with any of this but here we are going down the path um that's i don't think going to end in a very pretty manner no i agree with you 100 percent tamara ugolini and, and i'll tell you this uh, my last point on this is that you see the likes of gibault and blackface and greta thunberg and claus schwab they 
play the moral and ethical card that it is not moral and ethical to be uh, producing fossil fuels. Um, I can't get into the argument right now, but what I'd like to direct our viewers to is Ezra Levant's superb book, going back more than 10 years ago now, I believe, entitled Ethical Oil. And you'll mm -hmm. see all this demonization and vilification of the oil sands, or as they like to call it, the tar sands. You know, words matter, folks. It's all a bunch of rubbish. And Ezra lays out the case brilliantly that Canadian oil and gas, Canadian fossil fuels, there is nothing to be ashamed about in terms of a moral or ethical perspective. Now, Tamara mm -hmm. Ugolini, I see we're uh, five minutes past the hour. Uh, do we have any super chats? Yes. Yep. We have one from our supporter, Fraser McBurney. Thanks, Fraser. Here is a good way to get a better government. Note, I didn't say a good government. <laughs> uh, have, have two terms with no pension. And that includes, I think, the, the PM, the Prime Minister, also, reduce the size of government, start with the CBC. Yeah, the bloated bureaucracy is absolutely insane. And I maybe you're better familiarized with this, David, but just how much it's grown under Justin Trudeau. I mean, it is astronomical how large these bureaucracies are now. You know what, um, Tamara Galini? Here's an anecdote. I'll never forget this. Um, I was speaking with uh, Christina Blizzard, uh, now retired from the Toronto Sun. She was the Queen's Park uh, bureau chief or columnist there. And she once mentioned to me that this is just for the province of Ontario in terms of OHIP. And the directory for the number of OHIP employees, you know, I'm, I'm not talking doctors and nurses and orderlies, you know, people actually doing healthcare, but just the bureaucracy. It resembled, it was like a pamphlet. And by the time she retired, that directory was the size of a small town phone book. And to Mario Galini, these are just health bureaucrats spending all day long sending emails and texts and voicemails to other healthcare bureaucrats over and over and over again. We are totally overrepresented. I believe if you compare on a per capita basis, uh, Ontario to Germany, I believe on a per capita <clears throat> basis, it's either nine or 11 times more health bureaucrats in our system mm. than in Germany. And again, I'm stressing, these aren't the people, folks, doing the healthcare, putting it back together and giving you knee and hip replacements and what have you. No. These are just the suits at you know uh, down in uh, Toronto uh, that. Well, I don't know what they do, uh, Tamara Ugolini. <laughs> I, they're, they're, you know, I mean, <laughs> as as Christina said, sending memos to each other all day long. It's an absolute disgrace. It is, yeah, and we'll we have. Um... A recent post here from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, uh, who are great at trying to hold the bureaucracy oh, yeah. to account. It's not only that the bureaucracy has become so bloated, but the amount of bureaucrats making netting over $100,000 oh, yeah. a year has spiked up. They say here in this one particular article, since 2015, the number of federal bureaucrats making $100,000 and up has spiked 136%. Since that's Trudeau's reign of terror right there since 2015 when he took office, 136% increase in bureaucrats making $100,000 and up. And yet the, the health bureaucrats, sometimes when I'm doing my reports, 
I always like to check the Ontario Sunshine List or sometimes other provinces uh, call it something different. But I always like to see if I can track down their salary and especially for like the school board uh, bureaucrats as well, just to see how much money they're making a year for their crucial engagements of basically crumbling our systems. Um, I don't like you. I, I don't really know what they do. And some of these uh, hospital CEOs are making, you know, upwards of four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a yeah. year. It is astronomical. And then, you know, you have the CEO of Enbridge. I think he was making like twelve. He made twelve million dollars um, last year. Uh, if I could find that number again, but it's 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 insane, and um, it's really maddening to see as you know someone who can't even easily access care for routine things uh, that these individuals are making such an extreme amount that they could afford. You know, if they needed healthcare, then they can go down down to the United States and easily pay for it in the private sense well, while they decimate our socialized system. Oh, and I have a personal example, um, you know, uh, even though so much has happened in the last three years from COVID to Ukraine, um, the most often asked question I get when I meet people is, Dave, did you ever get your bottle? And they're referring to that crazy <laughs> story at the LCBO in East York on Wicksteed Avenue, in which I bought three bottles of scotch, but I only got two. And the LCBO, uh, to its credit, decided, yep, they're going to correct this mistake. I was told to get down there and uh, pick up my missing bottle. And the manager there, Ashley Metallo, uh, decided that she wasn't a government employee, but this LCBO on Wicksteed Avenue was basically Ashley's liquor palace. And for reasons I still don't understand, uh, wouldn't acquiesce to... LCBO corporate and give me that missing bottle. It was a result of a court case. I won. Uh, believe I, I, I can't uh, get into what I received as a total settlement due to the NDA. Uh, but the point is, when it comes to salaries, I looked up Ashley Metallo. This is an incompetent liquor store clerk. This is a lying liar. And Tamara Ugolini, she gets compensated $118,000 plus gold-plated benefit package for being an incompetent oh, yeah. liquor clerk. This is you and I and our viewers paying for this. This is outrageous. And this is why one of the worst mistakes of the Mike Harris government when he advertised the common sense revolution, as you know, one of the planks was to privatize the LCBO. What a missed opportunity because there's too many Ashley Metallos, incompetent, lying liquor clerks sucking off the government teat. And in order to get uh, justice, you literally have to go to court. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Which then just costs more and more uh, money and your time. And many people just don't have the uh, fortitude to see that process through. So Good on you, David. Well, Old thank you. But, but, you know, you raise a very <laughs> good point, and I apologize to, the, uh, to <clears throat> the people of Ontario. I am positive that the LCBO paid more in legal fees for their fancy Bay Street lawyer to come down and argue the case in a failing move, I might add, um, than what the final award was. And again, I apologize because I... It's not Ashley Metallo paying out of her pocket, even though this fiasco was of her own doing. 
It's you and I and all our viewers. Despicable. Yeah. Just before we wrap things up, I want to give a special shout out to Jack Gmail, who just today became a monthly supporter. So thank you very much, Jack Gmail, for your continued support for Rebel News. Really appreciate it. That is All right. And I think that's it. That's it for our super chats and otherwise. So um, I guess until tomorrow, David, we'll say our sayonaras. That's right. I believe the Alberta team takes over on Friday and uh, somebody has to because I think I'm at the journalism conference that we're putting on so I wouldn't be available anyways. So Tamara Ugolini, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, uh, joining me uh, today. It's been so long. I was out on the field doing so many assignments, but you are the peaches to my herb. Reunited and it feels so good. It feels so, I look so good. Forward, there you go. <laughs> I look forward to next Tuesday. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in. A special thank you uh, for all those who gave a uh, donation. It's how we keep the lights on. Thanks, of course, to our trained broadcast professionals behind the booth. Uh, that would be Olivia and Efren. So for me, until Monday, as always, stay safe and stay sane. Ontario is experiencing unprecedented growth. Last year alone, Ontario grew by more than 500,000 people. Put that into perspective, the federal government brought in 1.1 million people into our country. 600,000 people landed everywhere else. But folks, guess what? Eventually, they're gonna end up in Ontario. That's more newcomers than both Texas and Florida, the fastest growing states in America. We are now the fastest growing region, bar none, in North America. At current rates, Ontario will grow by more than 5 million people in the next 10 years. That's close to adding two cities the size of Toronto in a decade. These are staggering numbers, numbers that didn't exist a few short months ago. Considering these facts is never been more important to deliver on our commitment to build at least 1.5 million homes.